1: And here we go on a Friday. Hello, everyone.
0: Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us as we wrap up another week. What a week it has been. Lots to talk about today. There's been all kinds of legislation introduced that would impact agriculture. It kind of gets lost in all the other news that is going on. And of course, there's a big difference between introduction of legislation and passage of legislation. But we'll go over some of these uh, different things that have been uh Introduced the Price Act, the ACE Act, the Halls Act. So we'll go over all that today with Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Look at their potential impact on agriculture, their chances of passage. We'll talk weather today with Dennis Toddy, Director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, about the strengthening La Nina pattern. We'll get into that. And also a harvest update from Illinois. Up around the Quad Cities, David Erickson will check in. We'll find out how his harvest is going in that area. But we're going to start things off with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. And it seems like, Mike, when we have you on anymore, there must be a big storm in the Gulf. And sure enough, we have yet another hurricane to talk about. And looking at, of course, the potential impact on uh, our river transportation system, the port facilities, things like that. So tell us about the potential impact of Hurricane Delta.
2: Well, it was never my aspiration when I went to college to be a a hurricane tracker. But, you know, the fact is (laughs) that we've had a real active season this year. And, you know, clearly when you have 60 percent of U.S. soybean exports, 57 percent of corn exports leave from facilities along the lower Mississippi River near New Orleans, Anytime a hurricane develops in the Gulf, we clearly take notice. Uh, it's such an important part of our supply chain, and we want to make sure that that remains undisturbed and, and um, with integrity and, and able to function. So, clearly, that's something that's uh, of interest to us. Uh, the good news is that it looks like this hurricane is, is moving, to, will be, make landfall to the west of New Orleans along the, the southwestern part of Louisiana. Uh, it, it probably will impact Baton Rouge to an extent. There are uh, there is an export terminal located there. So as of right now, it's looking like the main the main damage and the severity of the storm will slightly miss most of the export terminals that are more concentrated in the New Orleans area. <laughs>
0: considering all the damage that has been done by these storms, I think this is uh, I think I saw where this is the 10th major storm to hit landfall this year. Uh, considering all that uh, damage that has been done, uh, probably the ag infrastructure system has been very fortunate to be spared a lot of major damage so far.
2: Yeah, and from yeah certainly from a, a, a soybean and corn supply chain perspective, uh, it's been very fortunate. I mean, we've had you know multiple storms that have hit you know the Gulf area that's where there's been a lot more concentration and usually in the law of averages is that you'll have more of a disruptive activity in the New Orleans area and that thus far has not happened so we're we're very fortunate with that um yeah you know, the the good news is that a lot of these export facilities when they were built and now obviously when they're maintained they are fully aware that they may have to encounter a hurricane so they've got policies and procedures in place um, that get activated when a, a storm emerges within the Gulf. But, um, you know, fortunately we haven't had a, a significant disruption this, thus far with any of these other storms.
0: I want to talk to you about uh, some things going on, some projects on the Illinois River, the LaGrange lock and dam project. Looks like it's almost done.
2: And that's really good news. And that's, that, has been long the poster child for a dilapidated, underinvested, underappreciated lock and, lock and dam. And, and that's one of those facilities where when you're there, it doesn't require you to be an engineer from MIT to be able to diagnose that there's a problem. Uh, the, the, the pervasive rust, the crumbling concrete is all the evidence that you need that there's that – there's, uh, it's not a matter of if there would be a failure, it was a matter of when – You would have a failure so very happy to see this project uh, proceed the weather conditions for this kind of work has been very favorable this summer so uh we appreciate that the the corps of engineers is making you know progress on it and um and hopefully that'll be completed you know still on time and still able to participate in the, the harvest surge which you know occurs this time of the year but particularly you know later on this during the month of of october
0: yeah, when you're talking about locks and, that were built uh, what in the 30s and they were expected to last about 50 years, long overdue. Uh, looks like uh, the entire Illinois River could be reopened within the next few weeks, right? Yeah, and that's,
2: that's really good news. That's a major artery for, for soybeans, for corn, um, you know. You know, the year 2020 has been full of bad news, but a, a bit of good news that has occurred as of late is some really aggressive export activity for soybeans, for corn, most notably going to China. And so having that supply chain operational, which includes our inland waterway system with our locks and dams, um, our rail system to the Pacific Northwest, the export terminals at the Pacific Northwest and at the Mississippi Gulf, having all of those work in concert and fully operational is really important. And, you know, just last week in the lower Mississippi River, you know, we had 28 million bushels of soybeans get exported from those terminals, 24 million bushels of, of corn. So, uh, this is a real, this is really the the, the time for, for soybean exports particularly. 80% of U.S. soybean exports occur between the months of September and February, so this is the real sweet spot. So, having all of these Uh, links in our supply chain operational is really key.
0: What about uh, rail car availability? How's that been here in Harvest?
2: Uh, So far, so good. Um, You know, that's been, you know, there there has been, you know, within the rail industry, there has been some decrease in volumes with some of these other, you know, business lines that they have. COVID-19 obviously a a significant reason for that. Um, But, you know, we've serviced overall has been has been good you know clearly there are pockets and individual testimonials where you know it can be problematic but you know we've been pleased that you know with this increased surge of export activity that our supply chain has been that has overall been up to the task
0: well as you said uh, good news has kind of been hard to come by here in 2020 but uh, this is some good news Uh, thanks for the update mike good to talk with you thank you mike Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So this stretch of really good weather, September and October, not only helping uh, uh, the harvest, but helping get those uh, river projects uh, wrapped up as well. But even as we enjoy this good weather and helping harvest roll along very smoothly, concerns building about dry weather. The strengthening la nina weather system what does that mean longer term we're going to talk about that next with the director of the usda midwest climate hub that's dennis toddy and he's been kind of keeping us up to date on this building la nina system we'll take a look at its uh, potential pattern for the u.s as well as for south america so that's coming up next stay with us you're listening to aoa Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Adams on Agriculture, conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on agriculture.
3: There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple, we build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest.
0: Recently on Atoms on Agriculture, we're talking with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We've had the introduction now of the Next Generation Fuels Act, basically raising the octane level requirements in our fuel. If passed, would it be a game changer?
2: Mike, it would be a huge deal for the ethanol industry if this bill were to become law because it it establishes a much higher minimum octane content for gasoline, and it requires that that octane boost come from low carbon sources. Well, you look around, there's there really aren't many. Uh, octane boosters that can boost octane that much and reduce carbon emissions at the same time. Ethanol is really the only game in town when it comes to providing both of those properties. So, yes, this could be a a, a game changer uh, in terms of, you know, what the next generation or the next chapter of, of transportation fuels policy looks like.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
4: No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go?
0: Hey,
3: are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm
4: pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.
0: Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's talk weather
0: with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, we've talked about this before. This is quite a stretch of harvest weather. Warmer than usual. drier. Than usual for this longer period of time, it's enabling uh, harvest to roll right along. But do you have some bigger concerns about how dry it is?
6: Um, it, it really depends on on where you are right now. You, you, you're dead on that. You know, kind of a good news, bad news situation. We've been generally dry. Eastern corn belts had a few periods of wetness, but but not too serious one. So. Uh, harvest has moved along quite quickly, especially western areas. Eastern areas a little slower because things haven't dried down as quickly. Um, but looking ahead, I, I do have some concerns about soil moisture recharge. Uh, Eastern areas, again, you know, like Illinois, Indiana, that area are dry, but the tendency is, you know, they, they, they don't freeze as quickly during the winter time or don't freeze at all, so you have chances for for pre- precipitation to help recharge there. As you look west, say Iowa and Nebraska, further north, where we have some quite dry soils also, um, you know that area can freeze, and it doesn't look right now we don't see big precipitation events coming before the cold might set in. So there is, I have more concerns out in that area. Also, that western and northern area climatologically is drier. eastern Corn Belt tends to be wetter generally uh, from a climatology standpoint. So the ability to recharge is, is better there than it is uh, west and north. So those are the areas I'm, I'm more concerned about right now.
0: Do you think Hurricane Delta pumps any moisture up into the Midwest at all?
6: I, I was looking at that, and, you know, right now... The only area that maybe gets some help out of that is maybe the far eastern and, you know, maybe right along the Ohio Valley. Right now, the northern edge of the precipitation is right about the Ohio River. And then maybe over into Ohio right now has the better chances for precipitation from Delta. Uh, So those are the only places I really see much change coming. Uh, We are a little lucky in that there is a system coming through the northern plains, uh there's a cold front coming through, leading edge, some colder air coming in, get back to more uh typical uh mid-October type of temperatures. Uh, but there is some precipitation expected with that. Mainly eastern Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin have the best chances with this one. Um, unfortunately, probably not big, um, but a little bit of something, and maybe some isolated areas with some thunderstorms that could get some heavier precipitation. But, you know, soils for the most part in this area are dry. The only thing it will do is probably slow down harvest for a few days in some other areas. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I don't foresee. And, and, and so outside those areas, it looks like we're going to stay dry for the most part and harvest should be able to continue as, as people are ready and able to, to deal with those issues.
0: We're talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. All right, Dennis, you've been keeping us up to date on the growing or chances or the strengthening, I should say, of La Nina, this weather weather pattern. Where are we now, and what does this mean for us moving forward through the winter and into next year?
6: Ah, uh, yes, there's a lot there to unpack. So,
0: um,
6: Noah And the Climate Prediction Center, part of NOAA, came out with an update just in the last couple days on the La Nina. And it's showing, and and what we're we're talking about with La Nina, we're talking about sea surface temperatures uh, along the the equator in the Pacific. um, Tend to have colder than average sea surface temperatures in the central and eastern Pacific. And what that does is kind of can influence what happens uh, across the U.S., uh, especially during the wintertime. So the, the the most recent update, we are on a La Nina advisory, and that's their term for we're expecting it to happen. They have increased the probability. I think we're up around 80, 85% probability that we will officially get to La Nina territory this winter. Um, they've increased the, the potential strength of it um, that we could, you know, we, we talk about them in weak or strong or weak, moderate and strong. Uh, this one looks like it could be, to, to well into the moderate, maybe even strong category, uh, so it would have a better chance of influencing uh, some things in the in the winter, particularly in the north uh, in, in North America. Um, and then we have a chance of it even continuing and staying on into the spring. That's where things start getting a little more interesting. Okay, unpack a little bit what happens when we have a nina Uh, the problem, and, and these will be reflected in the new outlooks that come out next week. Uh, Southern U S um, you know, Southern plains into the, the Southeast has a better chance of being drier and warmer during, uh, La Nina winters. Um, because the, the subtropical jet, the storm systems that move through there get, get moved. So they don't, they aren't, they're less likely to come through that area. So they tend to be, uh, they have a better chance of being drier and warmer, um, the uh, in the fall up in our area more the the upper Midwest, um, ha, you know, tends to be kind of what we're seeing right now. Has a better chance of being warmer and drier. So the likelihood this continues into early winter is sticks with us. And then as we get into the winter, uh, there's a better chance that we're maybe a little colder, especially in the northern plains, could slide over into the Midwest. But uh, there is a better chance, particularly later in the winter, of a more active storm track. We talked last time about a potential for, you know, a stormier winter. Did a little more looking and talking with some colleagues. And it it seems that under La Nina winters, there's a better chance that things get more active late winter. So mid-late winter is where we'd watch for things picking up more rather than early winter based on previous La Ninas. Each one is a little bit different. So we could see a bit more snow, especially the, the northern plains, far northern areas. Uh, doesn't, in, indications are not necessarily more snow, um, you know, a little bit further south in the Midwest right now. The other thing we have to watch out for, and people will start talking about this, so let's let's address it early. We think about La Nina's and droughts during the summer. There's a long way to go, there's a lot to happen with La Nina before we get to drought next summer. So. Let's just keep an eye on things. Don't don't be too concerned about this at this point. My bigger concerns about drought issues right now are these carryover dry soils going into next spring. That's that's my only major concern with drought right now. Let's keep an eye on La Nina and watch what happens next year.
0: Yeah, a lot there, as you said. Uh, What about the impact of La Nina on South America?
6: Um, there, there is a tendency for for some drier conditions in South America, and uh, you know there's even been some fires and dryness and fires in South America. So um, there is a, a potential problem with their growing season with La Nina conditions that they tend to be to be drier during this time of year too. So we'll keep an eye on that one also because that could obviously influence production and then some of the marketing issues.
0: How long does La Nina? Use, how long do they usually last?
6: Well, we
0: they they vary a little bit. They
6: tend to peak late winter, uh, excuse me, late winter around or around midwinter, and then start to weaken after that. Um, this one was originally expected to go through the late winter and then uh, weaken. This one may now last into the early spring. Uh, looking at some of the probabilities right now. Uh, it's when they would happen to last into summer that there could be some influence in the summer. I'm a little partial to this because when I did my PhD, this is part of what the work we did. So uh, um, it, it's not a, you know, so La Nina is not a guarantee. This, this is La Nina and El Nina, there's no guarantees in what happens in the way what winter looks like. You just change your probabilities or increase your probabilities. So it looks like La Nina lasts into the spring, um, but, What that would also mean for late winter and early spring would be a bit more active precipitation pattern uh, across much of the upper Midwest in the late winter and early spring. So um, that might be some good news for us from a dry soil standpoint. A lot of things to happen before we get
0: to that point, though. And what what historically follows a La Nina? Um, Typically, uh, the, the typical
6: pattern, you think, is that you kind of seesaw back and forth between El Niños and La Niñas and then you have intervening periods of several years. So the expectation would be after the La Niña fades that we go into a uh, uh, they jokingly call it Lanada which is meaning neither El Niño or La Niña for a period of time. So that's where we would expect it to go but Sometimes you can get La Ninas that will hold on in, in weakish form for a couple of years. Uh, we just can't forecast
0: that at this point. Wow, a lot there. Always great perspective. Dennis, thanks a lot for uh, kind of unwrapping this La Nina package for us and giving us an idea of what we might be looking uh, at here in uh, going through winter and into next spring. Thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Take care. Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. Up next, lots of legislation has been introduced. We'll take a look at it from an ag standpoint and chances of passage of any of these things. We'll talk with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.
3: There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple, we build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest.
7: Time now for a market update here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Estimates for U.S. grain production while still strong are expected to be trimmed a bit in USDA's new WASDE numbers due out later today. Wheat prices have hit their highest level in over five years in Chicago In response to challenging weather, the Russian Ministry of Agriculture confirming this week it's planning to introduce a new quota on its wheat exports beginning January 2021. U.S. stocks edging higher today, putting the S&P 500 on track for its biggest weekly advance since late August. Oil prices edging lower as traders track the progress of Hurricane Delta Which has brought offshore production in the Gulf of Mexico to a near standstill. In soybean futures, an hour into the day, November up fifteen cents at ten sixty-five. January ten sixty-three up fifteen cents. December corn up three and three quarters at three ninety and three quarters of a cent. Chicago wheat December up three at five ninety-eight and a quarter. Kansas City wheat December up four and a quarter at five thirty-three. Minneapolis spring wheat December up 6 and 3 quarters at 549 and a quarter. Live cattle futures October up 17 cents at 109.87, December unchanged 112.62. Feeder cattle November down 47 at 135.97. Lean hog futures October contract 45 higher at 7780, December up 12 at $67 per hundredweight. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 42, S&P up 20, NASDAQ up 83, November crude oil down 18 cents. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network.
8: Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety
0: Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams.
0: It may have been lost in all the other news that's going on, but there's been quite a bit of ag legislation introduced recently. We're going to go over that in a moment with Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thanks for joining us. Before we do, I want to get the latest. uh, There's been an outbreak of foot and mouth disease in Africa. What can you tell us about that?
9: Well, there, there has been a confirmed outbreak in Namibia. Uh, obviously, that's been a topic of discussion over the last year because we did see those first shipments of Namibian trim uh, reach U.S. shores after 18 years of them uh, trying to gain access to the U.S. market. Uh, it, as we understand it, it was outside the quarantine zone where they are allowed to ship products to the U.S. There is a, a fence uh, line that, that keeps those areas separated. And, and uh, we're being told from USDA that they have been re-verifying all of those security protocols to ensure that nothing's been compromised in that environment. But, you know, we just want to make sure that, that we're keeping uh usda uh engaged in that in that action and that they're doing everything they can to ensure that we do not have anything coming to u.s shores that could potentially bring foot and mouth disease uh to 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 the u.s so we're, we're glad to hear that they're on it and that they're paying attention to it and we just want to make sure we stay incredibly vigilant uh of anything like this to to ensure that we uh keep our beef supply secure
0: which also uh Makes us focus again on the importance of funding for our inspection service and our inspectors in this country.
9: Exactly, and, and that's been an issue that we've been talking about on Capitol Hill quite a bit. you know we're hearing this morning that the President is reengaging with, uh, with the House on, on a potential additional COVID package. The last version of that we've seen, and, and there have been many uh, did include some, some much needed funding uh, for that AQI program, uh, I think about 350 million dollars in the last round. They need close to 600 million, but uh, anything is I think going to be helpful to, to, to making sure that we, we don't have any shortfall in those critical areas, and and you know this is one of those things that during COVID uh, you you see impacts in different areas, and 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 they've kind of rolled right as we've moved through this crisis. Uh, we've seen different things pop up at different times, and this is one we we really can't let drop.
0: We're talking with Ethan Lane, Vice President Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. All right, Ethan, I just jotted down three. There are probably more, but three pieces of legislation that have been introduced that caught my eye the price act the ace act the halls act uh let's kind of get into them a little bit we'll start with the price act this has to do with uh markets and marketing
9: it, it does. We're kind of calling this a cattle omnibus bill. We've been working on this with Congressman Johnson since back in the spring. And, and this is a really cool bill because it encapsulates a lot of the different issues that we've seen crop up during COVID that we all know were issues before COVID. Uh, you know, dealing with hook space, dealing with capacity and, and making sure that there's capacity in the right areas of the country for processing, uh, ensuring that we're making sure there's enough resources available for small and very small processors if they want to grow, if there's, if there's need for them to grow and, and serve those local communities. We're seeing that there's a lot of problems getting up to, to FSIS standards for those state-inspected facilities. We want to make sure there are a lot of resources available to help them do that. And, and this bill also includes some of, the, uh, some of the language from bills like the Direct Act that would allow producers that are doing direct-to-consumer sales to do that via e-commerce and utilize those state-inspected facilities facilities. So looking for any opportunity we can to to grow the pie and make sure that we're we're creating more opportunity for processing and and, and doing it in a way that makes sense for the the way the market is moving. So we are incredibly pleased that uh, Congressman Johnson and and that broad co-sponsor list were were willing to engage in this with as much as there is going on right now. Uh, This is critically important, and and we need to to really keep our foot on the gas on this one and and try to get something done here uh, in the 117th Congress.
0: The ACE Act, this would involve protection of livestock from predators.
9: Yeah, the ACE Act is one that's near and dear to my heart. We've been working on black vulture issues uh, in in the middle of the country and raven issues in the West for quite some time. And the Migratory Bird Treaty Act uh, is, a, is a, 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 a treaty between us and Mexico and Canada that, that really restricts our ability to manage what has become an enormous population. We're talking millions of black vultures that are now aggressively uh, killing calves during calving season in, in many parts of the country. The ACE Act is finally going to give a little bit of flexibility for our producers to get the permits that they need to control those populations in the numbers that, that are needed. You know, you, you can get a permit for 30, that doesn't get it done. You, you, in, in many cases, these guys have hundreds on their operation. So we've been looking uh, for ways to expand that, uh, that, that need and ability, and, and the ACE Act is sure going to get us a long way down that road. Uh, uh, that's another one where we've seen really strong support from members of Congress throughout the country to try to get something done there. And, and boy, uh, after a couple years of working on that, we're, we're sure glad to be making some progress.
0: Then there's the Halls Act, which would deal with hours of service. Yes, this is
9: <laughs> the hours of service issue that will that will be with us, I, I, I fear for the rest of our our natural lives is you know working to make sure that we're adding enough flexibility to those hours of service restrictions so that our our haulers can get those live animals where they need to get safely and quickly. And, and this has been a real challenge educating people outside of agriculture about the needs of hauling live animals. And the fact that we're not hauling books, we're not hauling, uh, video cassettes, we're, we're hauling a live animal that needs to get somewhere quickly. You can't put them on a shelf, you can't stop on the side of the road for 10 hours with them loaded in a trailer, uh, and, and these, these haulers need to have enough hours to get where they're going. The Hauls Act adds on to what we've already created to keep, keep he- adding some more flexibility. It would create another 150-mile, air-mile back-end exemption on those agricultural commodity halls. It expands the amount of commodities that are that are in that current ag commodity definition to include some fish and insect and horticulture species. Uh, and and it's, it's really kind of an extension of the TREAD Act that we talked about last year. Uh, we're sure grateful to Senator Fisher for her work on that bill uh, to, to keep that issue in front of Congress and, and keep the pressure on. You know, we've, we've seen the need for that during COVID-19. Mike, the, The uh, the administration has been granting some exemptions there from those hours of service restrictions to ensure that we can get our cattle moved around the country during this capacity backlog. Uh, That just points more and more to the need to have some permanent flexibility and a a permanent fix to this issue.
0: I mentioned earlier there's a difference, big difference, between introduction of legislation and passage of legislation. What are are the prospects of passage for these uh, bills?
9: Well my, my gold standard Mike is always co sponsors that are on a that are in a bipartisan uh, uh, construct. I you know, messaging bills We see on the Hill quite a bit where it's one party or one subsect of one party putting a bill out. We like those bipartisan bills where where there are interested members of Congress on both sides. And in agriculture, we're blessed to have that more often than not. And this is sure the case with with these pieces of legislation that we're talking about today. We're seeing that bipartisan support. Uh, Members of Congress and and senators on both sides of the aisle understand that our producers need this help now. So that's going to really form the basis of that. And then you grow that that coalition out. Start educating suburban members, um, but you know, given the landscape that's in front of us, this is these bills are realistically a, a play for the next Congress. Um, once we get into lame duck, depending on how this election turns out, they're going to have their hands full with a spending bill, with livestock mandatory reporting reform, uh, reauthorization, and some of those issues. So we're we're sure going to keep our foot on the gas through the fall. But you know, strategically, I mean, we're looking at, at first part of next year and, and really educating that new Congress about the need for this and looking for opportunities to to move these. Pieces of legislation.
0: Yeah, it's going to probably be a while, as you said, uh, to get all this, try to get this done. But bipartisan support is always hard to come by, and it sounds like you have that uh, on these. Uh, what about, what are you hearing on another stimulus package, uh, kind of on again, off again? Is it a full package? Is it a targeted package? What are you hearing?
9: So, so I think we're 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 talking again this morning. It sounds like I, I think skinny package is still kind of the order of the day. So that's in that kind of two trillion dollar range. Um, uh, you know the president for for a while there last week was acting like he he didn 't want to go back into that conversation. It sounds like they 're reengaging now uh, l- latest i 'm hearing this morning, I think they 're going to talk uh, and, and work through next week uh, towards some kind of a vote on on something you know th- there There are versions of this that have been that have been in circulation for weeks now, so there there isn 't a whole lot of n- new business to create it 's just kind of figuring out what stays and what goes but i think there's there's interest on both sides in getting something done because you know we don't know what we're going to be looking at on the backside of the election and and there are a lot of folks out there that still need help uh, we need to get that replenishment of CCC funding, and, and we need to get some of those, those AQI funds and other issues taken care of. So uh, I'm glad to see they're reengaging in that conversation. Obviously, they still have the Senate to contend with, and, and with some members still uh, down with COVID and a Supreme Court nomination they need to deal with, that is an entirely different story. But it sounds like they're going to try to work to have something done by next week on the House side.
0: But the question is, of course, for agriculture, if it's a skinny bill, a targeted bill, is agriculture one of the things left out of it?
9: So, you know, in the versions that we've seen, uh, there is, and, and and members of the members of the House of Representatives had to fight hard to get that, that commodity credit corporation funding uh, put back in the last version of that. I'm I'm hopeful that that's not going to be missing from this from this new version that they're working on. Um, I, certainly, I would I would hope that they they've learned that there's a lot of support for that on both sides of the aisle. So we're, we'll continue to push on that as well. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's going to be as comprehensive as what we saw in the HEROES Act back in the spring that had, uh, you know, some pretty substantial buckets of funding to kind of extend out some of that CFAP funding. I think with that second round of CFAP going out the door now, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, appropriators and, and folks on the Hill are wanting to see uh, the effect that that has on, on farmers and ranchers around the country uh, before having more conversations. So I'm, I don't want to... I don't want to overpromise that. I think there's going to be a big, a big haul for ag in this one. I do think that there's going to be replenishment of CCC, hopefully, and and that's really needed. And and I'm glad to see that was kept in. Um, so we'll we'll see what we'll see what develops. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't get my hopes up too much for a for a big hit for agriculture as far as additional direct payments or anything.
0: All right, Ethan. Thanks for the update. Appreciate it.
9: You bet. Thanks, Mike.
0: Take care. Ethan Lane, Vice President Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Up next our harvest reports continue. We go to Illinois near the Quad Cities. David Erickson in full harvest mode. We'll find out how things are going on his farm next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
10: Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges.
0: Recently on Atoms on Agriculture, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Do you feel that the Next Generation Fuels Act could have a, even more of a profound impact on the biofuels industry than the RFS? I do,
6: and it's because it clears all of the market barriers that are out there. The reed vapor pressure, stumbling block that we've had in the past. If passed, that barrier goes away. Credits to get the automakers to produce more flexible fuel vehicles restored Retail compatibility with blends up to E30, taking care of um, a high-octane market, something we've always tried to pursue, and we know that ethanol contains Um, really affordable octane. It's just that one piece, making sure that they get the low carbon, really accounting for how uh, ethanol plants um, are low carbon on a facility-by-facility basis. That little tweak is made to the bill, and if enacted, it would have a greater positive impact on the rural economy than
0: the RFS. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
3: There's a reason more than a billion feet of ADS farm tile lies beneath America's heartland. It's simple. We build trust. Since 1966, farmers and their families have trusted ADS products to improve yields and create longer growing seasons. From lift stations to water control structures, ADS Agriculture has everything you need for total ag water management solutions. For everyone out there feeding the world, we wish you all a safe and happy harvest.
5: You only get one chance to leave your mark on the land you love. So choose the soybeans with a legacy, all their own. FS High Soy. The first proprietary soybean brand, High Soy has been a part of the land for 50 years. Offering the latest in trade technologies and elite genetics, High Soy varieties continue to provide industry charting yields. FS High Soy. See your local FS member company or visit FSHiSoy.com.
0: harvest 2020 rolls on we go to illinois the quad cities area to talk with david erickson david uh, you ought to be in full swing right
5: oh we're about done no (laughs) No. Uh, but we are we are making good progress mike uh yeah weather's been great uh so yeah harvest is uh definitely in full swing here
0: okay what are you in primarily right now beans
5: yeah, we're combining soybeans. Uh, the bulk of everyone started about last uh, uh week ago. Or excuse me, in Monday of this week. And uh everybody's run pretty hot and heavy. Actually the air uh, has been so warm temperatures warm and dry that uh, soybeans are getting actually too dry. A lot of a lot of soybeans ten percent and under and of course you know fifteen percent the ideal moisture uh for selling soybeans. So they're they're a little bit dry, but uh, yields are good. I'd say they're average and actually uh, maybe uh, in some cases a little bit better depending on how much rain that you got and um, and just how effective you were by some cool, wet um, spring rains that uh, reduce stand. So overall, a, a good soybean crop.
0: Did the August weather take the top off your soybean crop?
5: I was concerned, Mike, that we didn't get rain for our earlier maturing soybeans uh, soon enough there, and because uh, it came late August and early part of September, but they appeared to uh, benefit from the rain much like the fuller season uh, beans did. Um, probably what was taken, the top end was taken off with uh, our dry July
7: July,
5: um, the top end off of our corn crop in this area, along with the Oh, about two or three wind events, depending on your location, that uh, created some green snap and um, and some lodging in corn during you know critical pollination.
0: So, how much do you have done on beans?
5: Uh, we're about we're just over forty percent done. Um, so that for us, that's uh, good. Uh, uh, we're in good shape given the time of year, and, and it looks like the weather is going to cooperate. We could get some more. Uh, done here in the coming week. Maybe a little bit of rain stoppage on Monday, but uh, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. Might put some moisture back in the beans. And we're about thirty um, percent done on corn, and um, corn was kind of going slow. Uh, moisture wasn't dropping in our area quite yet, but it it began to drop as uh, as we uh, finished up the field Monday morning before we switched to soybeans. So I think. Uh, I think people will be pleased that moisture levels are coming down in corn uh, once they're able to get back in that.
0: Yeah, we've heard a lot of that. It took a while for those moisture levels to drop.
5: It did, and I'm not sure. I talked to uh, one agronomist, Mike, that, whose theory was that uh, during that dry stretch that we had in August, plants tended to kind of shut down. They weren't maturing like they they really should have, and uh, the rain in late August and early September it kind of re sparked if you will the the plumbing in those um, those corn plants and, and maybe they actually you know were slower to mature because they virtually shut down and then were reignited with some rain there. So I don't know. That's one theory anyway.
0: What about some of your early corn yields? Um there the corn is ranging a little bit below
5: average. I think I mentioned that before last time that we talked it looks like, um, you know, we're going to be, you know, below a 200-bushel average. Uh, well, we are right now, definitely. And if we, depends on whether our fuller season corn kind of comes around, I I expect it. Um, I, I will say that we had picked the corn that had the most uh, effect on it from these wind events that I mentioned, where we had some green snap and some lodging uh, I think we had most of that behind us in this first 30% that we harvested. So I expect yields to go up, uh, but I, don't, um, I, I still don't anticipate they'll be as good as they were last year.
0: With everybody going full speed ahead with this weather, got some long unloading lines to sit through? Well, I think
5: the grain handling systems have been improved over the last uh, decade tremendously, Mike. I was, I've been more on-farm storage added, uh, but even uh, local grain elevators, whether they're privately owned uh, commercials or own, co-op owned, farmer owned co-ops, they put a lot of money in improving their infrastructure, and, and it's really helped move things along. So I don't see those lines being a problem yet. You know, sometimes those lines really show up more at, toward the end of harvest as uh, we're trying to pack things in and then find a spot for those last few bushels mm-hmm. but we'll see
0: what about storage you think there's going to be a lot of uh on ground storage I gonna think see, we're going to see a lot of bags
5: we don't see a
0: lot of that
5: in our area and maybe that's because it's a weather sort of scenario up here we can get uh you know <laughs> it seems like our first moisture event tends to be wet snow or icy uh Uh, icy rain and that's not real great for piles on the ground so we don't see a lot of those uh in our area and i wouldn't anticipate that we will this year either i think that a lot of corn um got moved to the marketplace in a pretty timely fashion this last year and actually because of uh you know lock and dam repairs and the river closure on the illinois river i think soybeans uh, moved out uh sooner than uh, it might be normal in in a normal marketing year so i think storage should be okay
0: all right so the forecast says roll on be careful be safe and uh well next time i talk to you may be about done <laughs> don't count on it but uh yeah well we're making great progress
5: we're sure thankful for the good weather and uh we oh, bless the yields are what they are uh, hopefully um Hopefully they continue the way they are.
0: All right, David, good to talk with you. Have a safe harvest.
5: Thank you, Mike. Have a good day.
0: Take care. David Erickson from Illinois Farms in that Quad Cities area. With that, we wrap it up for the day and for the week. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a safe weekend, everyone. Coming up on Monday, we'll have more on the harvest weather and a look at uh, today's WASD numbers as well. Hope you'll join us right here on
4: AOA.